as I step into the sprawling mall over the weekend, I see store upon store selling energy-efficient ACs, shirts, bags and shoes that claim to reduce carbon footprint, detergents that say they use less water, organic snacks, banners of green cars, green fuel and whatnot. That's a whole lot of green and it's coming at us from everywhere. Brand upon brand is capitalizing on this green wave. Tokenism or for real? How would I even know if I'm being misled? Am I paying more for such greenwash products when they may not really be so? And what about the ones which are actually investing in the environment? Are they getting shortchanged? Companies today are offering guilt-free fashion, ethical fashion, recycled fashion, eco-friendly fashion, and of course, sustainable fashion. It's becoming increasingly profitable for companies to be seen as being beneficial to the environment. Consumers are increasingly demanding sustainable products. But the quest for sustainable and eco-friendly living has led to the emergence of greenwashing, a rampant marketing gimmick that has lured many who are hoping to make the shift. By definition, greenwashing is an act by a company that claims its products are climate-friendly without any verified data to support the claims and could well be misleading. It could be what you're eating, wearing, putting on your skin or the car you're buying. Last year, a lawsuit was filed against Swedish fast fashion giant H&M alleging that it had greenwashed claims that H&M advertised its products as using less water to manufacture when they actually use more. H&M put down the discrepancy to technical issues. From car brand Volkswagen, which admitted to misleading emission tests, to furniture retailer IKEA, which was called out for greenwashing the timber industry, to Starbucks coffee, which released a strawless lid that was found to contain even more plastic. Well, green is often not what you and I are made to believe. To take a reality check on what lies beyond the optics and what we can do to clamp down on misinformation around greenwashed claims, I have with me Manisha Kapoor, Chief Executive of the Advertising Standards Council of India, which has been upping the stakes on various self-regulatory standards from cryptocurrencies to influencer marketing. Joining us is business strategy consultant Harish Bijur, formerly with AUL and Tata Coffee, someone who's been working closely with brands and boardrooms for well over two decades. I've also invited Shruti Malhotra, Chief Executive of The Body Shop, the India arm of the British beauty and cosmetics company, founded by Anita Roddick in year 1976 in Brighton, a quaint city on England's south coast. Roddick is credited with leading the first beauty company to prohibit the use of ingredients tested on animals and also the first to promote fair trade with developing countries. It's Tuesday, June 20th. I'm your host Ratna Bhushan from The Economic Times and you're listening to The Dark Side of Green, 
unmasking greenwashing tactics here on the morning brief to throw light on the ever increasing gaps between green baits and real causes i first turn to harish bijur a veteran in the brands and products space social commentator author and boardroom veteran harish like we were talking the other day almost everyone seems to have onboarded this green race companies seem to be making such claims to edge out competitors but how much impact does a green tag have on consumer sales see ratna first of all uh, i wouldn't call it a race even i call this the green monster that has entered india as it has entered large parts of the world so firstly there is the good and the good is about you know being organic being mindful being sustainable being green and then there is the bad portion of it and that is greenwashing which is vague absolutely no proof of where they're talking from or what they're talking about and totally irrelevant and finally there's the ugly the anecdotal green everybody wanting to put a green stamp on their product or service whether they are green or not uh, that doesn't matter so the green monster is the good the bad and the ugly three avatars all happening together in the great indian market what about investor pressure on companies you talked about the green monster so to say but we hear that a lot of boardroom targets and goals to be met annual kras of ceos etc are being linked to such green goals well of course that is setting a good precedent is it also contributing to companies rushing to make green claims when they may not necessarily be so the investor you know this character this guy is actually a big villain in this space i enter into corporate boardrooms and i am told that we have green goals so the first thing i do is i try to shatter those green goals try to look where they are coming from essentially the investor is looking at three spaces the first space is that when you actually create a product how are you creating the product how are you sourcing how are you making the product how usurpative are you in that process the second is the operation of everything whether it be finance whether it be sales etc and the third is the distribution end you know at the distribution end there are companies which are claiming that they are 85% green for instance flipkart has a green delivery mechanism where they say that they are 85% green because they use evs so these three spaces are pushed by the investor and boardroom discussions are ripe and rife in this space which brings me to my next question harish you work closely with a lot of brands across sectors um you know can you give me examples of brands which have made misleading green claims and have got called out by authorities and consumers not yet called out by authorities and consumers maybe but every one of them is making misleading claims and this is a matter of big worry you know because you know in india uh, we have the consumer protection act of 2019 under it greenwashing is in inverted commas unfair trade practice but literally every company is faulting on this count yeah, because there are two types of greenwashing one is what i call sensorial washing sensorial washing is in territories 
uh, you can see a product, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can smell it, you can taste it. Now, this is sensorial washing. The second one is really imagination washing. I call it imagination washing in a paper I wrote on the subject because this is cosmetic green washing. You actually are not green, but you're imagining yourself to be green. Can you give us some categories or examples that you've come across? You said there are so many which are doing this. Could you enlighten our listeners with some examples? Okay. Uh, see, for instance, the cement industry. This is a very worrisome industry because, you know, hey, listen, there is very little of green here. So there is a cement company that says they make green cement. I mean, highly contentious, really. The fashion brand that says, buy more of me because I am sustainable. Hey, come on. Fashion brands land up eventually in landfills. And if you ask people to buy more, you're not being sustainable. So, you know, these are two. Plenty other industries I work in, for instance, the air conditioning industry. I mean, see, the air conditioning industry is a big, big enemy of the green, if you ask me. Bottled water industry, because, you know, it uses pet and transportation, et cetera, et cetera. The fast fashion industry, again, a space I work in, again, serious problems in this space. Tell me, how much is greenwashing aimed at meeting the CSR goals, like the light at the end of the tunnel, so to say? I'd like to say that, you know, much of it is CSR. And in fact, I'm okay with CSR expenditure going out. But what I'm not okay is when I have a theory which I built called my inverted funnel view. Now, just imagine there is a funnel. It has a broad end to it. And normally the broad end is at the top and the narrow tip of the funnel is at the base. Greenwashing is actually the inverted funnel. So what happens is companies go and talk green to get very niche customers into them. And when they come in, then directed to the mass offerings that the company has, which is not green. So green is bait, and that bait leads to the non-green. Now, this is criminal offense as far as I'm concerned. Because let's not fool the consumer out there and the customer out there and create bottom lines and top lines for companies. I want to just turn around this conversation you know, in the absence of stringent regulation or policies which are just on paper and not being executed and implemented well enough, why wouldn't a company go ahead? It is the responsibility of the companies, of course. But what about the regulators? Where is the accountability coming on that front? Very good question, Ratna. Because at this point of time, we have zero control on greenwashing. All companies are run by boards. Boards are populated by people at least at the board level, I do believe greenwashing responsibility lies at the board level. It is not at the marketing level. Marketing people will be marketing people. Marketing people will promote, tout, use, exploit. But the board must not do all of these things. Ratna, actually stronger regulation is a must. But you know, any regulated industry has people who go berserk under it. And the harm is already done before you start chasing these guys. Now, which marketing company will ever tell people do not buy more? The ultimate dream concern is do not buy more, do not replace, redistribute, recycle, upcycle, upuse. No marketer likes this because a marketer is actually selling. And out of that selling comes his revenue. 
and revenue is his blood flow. And that blood flow is going to be continued perennially. So essentially, end point, do, but don't talk about it. Be green. You have to be green, but don't talk about it. It's extremely important that there's genuine love in the green initiatives of India and the world at large. Uh, this love must not be touted, must not be marketed, must not be allowed to be about even. A radical view, really. Don't think it will happen. So the spotlight is as much on companies and brands as it is on the regulators. Greenwashing is considered an unfair trade practice and is regulated by the Consumer Protection Act of 2019. The Bureau of Indian Standards has a green product certification scheme to monitor products labelled as eco-friendly, while green labels are given to products that meet sustainable standards. Yet, there is this massive surge in greenwashed products. On that note, I'm bringing in Manisha Kapoor, currently leading the ASCII, active public policy speaker and vice president of the executive committee of the International Council for Advertising Self-Regulation. So green seems to be in vogue for everything from food and fast fashion to ACs and cars. As a consumer, how do I know if I'm being misled or not? That's a really interesting question. Given how much consumers are now kind of declaring their preference for things that are green, I think consumers are really speaking aloud about their choices. And, and therefore, you see increasingly companies also making these kind of claims in their advertising and establishing or communicating their green credentials as it were. Now, of course, you know, the ASCII code requires that ads should not be misleading and that includes all sorts of claims and also the green claims. One of the interesting things is that a lot of advertisers tend to make absolute claims, right? That they may say it's good for the planet versus saying that we are better than product XYZ or better than our own earlier version. Now, when you make an absolute claim, like you say you're biodegradable or that you say that you're good for the planet, now, these kind of claims actually require a much higher degree of evidence versus if you say that you are better because a better just means that you have kind of made an improvement and, you know, you're perhaps not as bad as someone else. But when you say you're good, you actually have to demonstrate a positive contribution by the overall product for the environment, in which most cases it's not so. So I think these are some of the nuances, but as this claim area develops further, we will examine more nuanced issues around it as well. Important points there, Manisha. But what is the existing regulatory framework on green claims? From what I know, some policies are already in place. The Bureau of Indian Standards has a green product certification scheme. There are green labels like Energy Star and Ecomark. And greenwashing is also considered an unfair trade practice. Despite all this regulation, greenwashing claims have been rampant and misused. Why? I think the regulations perhaps need greater granularity. Of course, it's good that we have bodies like the BIS, etc., which are creating some standards in terms of how certain phrases can be used. So I think that is much required. I think the whole area of claim articulation on green is something that needs greater granularity. So what is greenwashing? What would we consider greenwashing? If I say that my product is, you know, organic, now is it a 100% organic? 
Is it that it just has some organic components, but the overall product may not be organic? So I think these standards also need the set of granularity. Because, you know, when I say that, let's say I have a product which is biodegradable. As a consumer, I just assume that the entire product is biodegradable. But perhaps what is biodegradable is only one element of the packaging or one element of the product. So I think those are the kind of issues we need to examine in greater detail, given how much consumers are now kind of paying attention to these things and also making choices on what to buy based on these claims. So as a self-regulatory body, what is ASCII doing about it? We are in fact in the process of setting up a task force to examine different ads and to examine different regulations around the world to see what is, you know, again, like you said, I mean, some available kind of standards in India. Uh, but most importantly, I think to put in the consumer point of view, which is saying that when a consumer reads a claim in a certain way, what is their takeout or what is their understanding about that phrase which is used? Our complaints team has already kind of put down examples of different categories and ads and brands that are making these kind of claims. In general, we find that green claims tend to be overstated or tend to be generalized. So I think that is the degree of evidence that we will now kind of work towards demanding. And I think it's only fair we specify that so even advertisers know what we are looking for and if they were to make those claims in a manner that consumers could misinterpret them in some other way, then that's something that we will be taking up. I would say about three to four months for us to come out with some kind of a guidance or guidelines on sustainability and green claims. What happens when a company or a brand is found to be making misleading claims or selling on the basis of meaningless certification? What do they stand to lose? Let me give you one, an example of a particular category. For example, you have sanitary napkins. A lot of them are now using the word biodegradable in their advertising. Now, sanitary napkins at an overall level is not a biodegradable product. Now, they may have elements of it which are biodegradable. So to say that the product is biodegradable, that would be a misleading claim. Or this whole thing of saying it's eco-friendly. Now, what does eco-friendly mean? You know, if you ask an average consumer, they would say that, you know, it is all of these things, right? It may be recyclable or it may be biodegradable or it's made in a way that is considerate to the environment or it's made organic. So I think some of these claims which are very broad-based and uh, non-specific have a greater chance of being misleading. Uh, under the code today, and you know, I mean, both the ASCII code and the law says that, you know, misleading ads is not something that can be put out. And these ads do become misleading in the way that the claims are articulated. Green trademarks and IP rights around green claims are gaining ground in many global markets. Where does India stand on green trademarks? So I would say that perhaps the consumer understanding of these is not very clear. And therefore, you know, even if the companies, I'm sure when they apply for it, have to kind of clear certain hurdles and only then are these marks allotted to them. But I think there is poor consumer of understanding of what these marks mean. And therefore, as a communication tool, it may not always land the message. When a consumer sees something like a green pro, I mean, they may assume it has certain components or product has been given this kind of certification because of certain criteria. Whereas the actual criteria may be a little different and, you know, maybe more technical in nature. So I think that's a gap that needs to be overcome. And which is why I feel that greater granularity would help in all of this, there's a huge education effort involved, both 
to educate consumers, but also to educate advertisers in terms of, you know, what is a fair kind of claim to make based on the evidence you have. So it's not something I think that will change overnight, but I do see a fairly rapid acceleration towards this because this is becoming something where consumers are putting their money. So it will, I think, gain a lot of momentum as it has globally. I think it will also gain very, very fast momentum in India as well. I was reading the other day that China is increasingly taking a strict view on greenwashing. What about India? Can registration claims be refused by Indian authorities? So I think in India, the way that trademarks work is that the law actually says that descriptive words should not be used as trademarks, which means that technically when you say green and it it is the implication of that is that it is eco-friendly, then actually this trademark should not be allowed, you know, registration, irrespective of whether there is a criteria or not. So that's in general something which could be tightened. I think the intent of the law is clear, but perhaps a more stringent implementation of it would kind of weed out such problems. But what happens to brands which have actually been investing in real change? Are they in minority? Are we painting everyone with the same brush? Shriti from The Body Shop gives us insights on the other side of greenwashing. So Shruti, there are dozens of brands out there which now position themselves as sustainable or organic. A niche that you at The Body Shop have had is now increasingly a crowded space. Does all this impact your first mover advantage? And if yes, how? Yes, it's true that there are multiple brands that have forged into the space over the years. And that The Body Shop, if I think about it, ideologically, this is a good direction to be in. 50 years ago, when we started off, this was not a direction or this was not a space where anybody was interested to be in. So it's a very good place to be in and it's a very good direction to be in. But it has to be approached in a manner that is correct and not taking advantage of this direction that the consumers are now going moving towards as they get more and more aware of how they consume and what they consume. And there is a massive surge in brands, especially in the beauty space, where there are a lot of players, a lot of call-outs, a lot of communication. And increasingly, it's becoming very, very difficult, you know, and the task of, you know, what is the differentiation amongst the brands? Shriti, many argue that the benchmark of standards has also fallen in the race to be in the space. Take us through Body Shop's journey on being socially responsible, as I'd like to put forward what it takes to be actually green and not just green for the sake of it. So the Body Shop is a B corporation. As a B Corp, which is a benefit corporation, it's a triple bottom line company, which follows like the highest standards of verified social and environment performance, public transparency, and most important, legal accountability to balance profit and purpose. So this itself is a very, very tough uh, set of uh, standards, which the Body Shop has now as part of being a B corporation. So right from the time that we were founded in 1976, the business was based at that time on very high standards of ingredients, sourcing of products, and we eventually moved to community fair trade. Then we moved to 100% vegetarian and now moving to 100% vegan products, which means that we are constantly measuring our impact on planet, on people. And it's also about not just, you know, measuring the impact, it's also about making sure business is an impact for social good. We work with 19 fair trade suppliers in 15 countries with a, you know, direct impact on the income of 13,500 people. So Shriti, some very interesting points raised by you there. But you also mentioned about clutter in the market. 
This brings me to my next question. How concerned are you at the body shop that many of the claims that are being made by, you know, your competitors may be misleading and more so that consumers could still be buying such products? Ratna, it's definitely a concern. It is for the regulatory and for the governing bodies to look into this and to take action on this. But if these claims are there, they're found to be misleading, it's certainly alarming because then that means that brands are trying to woo consumers by offering such claims that are not backed by substantial research and data. To your point and the interesting observation that you've made, it definitely does impact overall the consumer sentiment and the kind of scepticism that they would have on green brands and how they would perceive green brands if a lot of claims are not substantiated. So in fact, if we look at it purely from that point of view, Overall, it would impact brands like ours because there would be a lot of questions for consumers around brands and their claims. And there are a lot of consumers who are being taken in by the claims and which what they feel is the right claim. If it's unsubstantiated, then they are at high risk. So I would say that I will stand by it that it's actually a brand's responsibility. So whatever that we are, the brands that we are in the space, it's our responsibility to educate consumers about the authenticity of our claims, make sure that we are able to provide our certifications and relevant documentation when it comes to that to satisfy the claims if there are any consumer queries on that. Do you see greenwashing as a bigger challenge in India compared to some other countries? Yes, I would say this at this point of time because simply because of the numerous brands that are coming in in India, which is not there outside because, you know, the consumer in India is actually move to a great direction of, you know, wanting sustainable and clean products. There's a huge demand which is rising in India on sustainable and clean products. So to answer to the demand, there are a lot of brands who are coming in. So I would say that India is a, is a slightly more complex situation at this point of time because a lot of brands are entering. And really to how to differentiate and how to make sure that these all these brands and products are certified and have their claims which are correct claims, I think this will eventually settle down and as some of the players will be weeded out if their claims are misleading. This is required for this point of time because there's a lot of brands there. They will be the ones who will be continuing in terms of long-term business and growth. So what's the solution? Body Shop says no one can do it alone. You know, in India, it's very important for businesses and brands to forge partnerships with government bodies, with regulatory organizations, because we should not be working at cross-purposes. Actually, we should be working together. I would say that, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time when in India as well, we are in a position to be able to match the consumer's requirement with the right brands and right products. The need for a lot more regulation by authorities and self-regulation by brands has never been as urgent. More so at a time when conscious consumerism or consumers consciously wanting to do their part for the environment has been increasing. Last month, the Reserve Bank of India too stepped in to prevent greenwashing stating that it will join 12 international regulators in the Global Financial Innovation Networks to develop a mechanism to help regulators with risks of greenwashing in financial services. Stringent certification on green trademarks, trademark audits, claims by statistics, and certifications by standards authorities could be some of the solutions. On that note, we're signing off and hope we have a greener story to tell next year on World Environment Day. You've been listening to The Dark Side of Green, 
Unmasking Greenwashing Tactics on The Morning Brief and I'm your host Ratna Bhushan. This episode was produced by Vinay Joshi. Sound editor Rajas Naik. Executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Barman. We hope you liked this episode. Do share it on your social media networks. Don't forget to tune into a new episode of the Morning Brief podcast every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. It streams on Amazon Prime Music, JioSaavn, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course, ET's own audio platform, ET Play. Thank you for listening and have a nice day ahead. All external sound clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description.